Now let's pray together. Uh, God, we thank you for your word. Help us to hear what you want us to hear, to know what you want us to know, and to do what you want us to do. We thank you for the privilege we have to gather today and worship you in freedom. And we are mindful today of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world that gather on this very day to worship you and do so at great personal risk. They put their own lives aside as they worship you. Thank you that their courage and their steadfast faith is an example to the entire world. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, fall is often a good annual level set for a new year. Vacationers return to their homes, kids return to their schools, football fans return to their couch, and everything is as it should be. But there is a sense this fall that everything is not as it should be. There's a lot of things that are normal, but it doesn't feel quite right. And it's not just masks. Something is off in our world, and something is off in us. And so we're asking here at the start of a new school year, hey, how you doing? And we're going to take two weeks for this. This is not a usual way we start a new church year, but this is not a usual year. How are you doing? How are you doing really? And the honest answer, based on what I'm hearing and reading, is that we are anxious and angry. Uh, and it's not all related to this pandemic, and it didn't all start suddenly 18 months ago. Uh, there's a fair amount of research that demonstrates that anxiety levels and anger levels in the United States have been rising for decades, and this last 18 months has accelerated it. According to psychologist Robert Leary's book, Anxiety Free, he says, the average American child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. The average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. He says material comfort and security may be higher today than it was back then, but other prevailing issues like separation from extended family, loss of community and neighborhood, uncertain employment, threats of terrorism, uncertain futures, high medical costs, immersion in technology, and lack of emotional support are a few of the many contributing factors. Psychologist Robert Leary says in his book, we live in an age of anxiety. We are becoming, he says, a nation of nervous wrecks. That's what he said in his book published in 2010, pre-pandemic. Anger was also rising pre-pandemic. Gallup polls in, 19, in, in, in 2017 and 2018 uh, showed that more Americans say they feel anger on a daily basis. And so anger has, was rising pre-pandemic. And now the last 18 months have been what one psychologist has said, uh, an, an anger incubator these last 18 months, fighting about masks and politics and race. People are on edge. Uh, you've seen this, road rage incidents are up. Fights on flights are up. People are punching out their flight attendant and the grocery clerk. What is going on? Something's not right in us. A lot of Americans are walking time bombs of anger. And if you're honest, 
you will admit that you feel this too. Maybe you've never punched out your flight attendant, but my guess is that you are operating at a, at a higher level of irritation than is normal for you, and I feel this in myself. I think it's interesting that the very first two questions that God asks of the human race are these, where are you and why are you angry? Where are you is the very first question God asks of the very first person, Adam, right after Adam and Eve disobeyed and rebelled against God. They hide in the garden, and God says to them, where are you? Now, you understand this is not a question of location. Does God not know where Adam is? God knows where Adam is. Uh, This is a question of the heart. This is an invitation to come clean. Where are you, Adam? What have you done, Adam? What's going on with you, Adam? And then there's some follow-up questions to this big question we'll look at in a little while. But the second big question God asked to the human race, the second question was asked to the second generation in the human family. This question, why are you angry, Genesis 4-6, was asked of Cain just before Cain killed his brother Abel in anger. And if Cain had stopped to reflect on this question, the story might have ended so differently. Why are you angry? Because the reason you think you're angry probably isn't the reason you're actually angry. There's always something else going on. And so these two questions of God that God asked the very first humans, I believe these two questions are questions God is asking us right now. Where are you? And why are you angry? And these are the two questions we're going to look at over the next two Sundays. Today, where are you? Next Sunday, why are you angry? So today, where are you? Let's look again at the text that George read earlier uh, to see where this question comes from. Uh, You heard it read this morning. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man where are you? Anybody here ever try to hide from or avoid God? Yep, how'd that work out for you? Uh, how silly we must look to God. We must look like that child uh, trying to uh, hide in a hide-and-seek game by covering their own eyes and believing that you can't see them. We must look pretty silly to God. Uh, this question, where are you, in Hebrew, in the original language, it looks like this. I want you to see it. We translate it, where are you? Uh, Here's the Hebrew word. In Hebrew, you may remember you read from right to left, and this is pronounced something like ayeka. One word, ayeka. We translate it, where are you? Ayeka is a fabulous Hebrew word, and it's still used uh, today. One writer said of this Hebrew word, ayeka, Uh, that this word is used when a person, parent, friend, or compatriot wants to know about your inner world, the heart experience of you. It's a question spoken towards someone who's become emotionally distant, removed, unknown, or even secretive. It's a question of invitation spoken from one who loves and reaches to have a reunion of hearts. Ayeka assumes loneliness, missing, heartache, and concern from the speaker who seeks to hear from the heart of the one being questioned. As a word of pain, it expresses a groan or a lament toward one another. 
The one who asks this question has heartache and a hunger to be close. Ayeka laments, you are lost to me and need to be found by me because my heart aches missing you, wondering about you, craving to see you from the inside out. It's a question that seeks a renewal of intimacy. There are times when my wife Angie asks me this question, where are you, uh, even when I'm sitting right next to her. Anybody have this? Just me? And I say, I'm right here. And she says, no, you're not. Where are you? What, what preoccupies your mind right now, in other words? What has removed you from me? This is a, a caring, courageous question of the heart, and this is the question that God asks of Adam. Ayeka, where are you? God knows that Adam has removed himself emotionally and spiritually. Where are you in Genesis 3-9 is a groan. It's a lamentation from God who, who, who loves and knows that his created ones, his people, have removed themselves from the life for which they were created. And the life for which they were created is fantastic. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God created humanity, and it was very good. And, and all of creation, only the woman and the man are said to be made in the image of God. And so we are wired with this capacity for relationship and love and laughter and meaningful contribution. And this is the Garden of Eden. Humanity in relationship with God and in harmony with one another. And the Bible says in Genesis 2.25, the man and his wife were naked and without shame. In other words, full acceptance, no hiding, no deception, no need to manipulate or control, no anxiety, no worry about how I'm being perceived, no anxious thoughts about my looks or my performance or my relationships. And then in Genesis 3, the story we heard read, sometimes referred to as the fall. Have you heard of the fall where this oneness with God and this oneness with each other is severed and broken? Shame enters the world, and shame is that sense of unease that we have in the center of our being. This knowledge that something's not right with us. It's anxiety-producing. And in verse 7, we see what shame does. Uh, then their eye, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves, right? They, they, they were naked without shame. Now they're naked with shame, and you understand there's way more going on in this story than nakedness. This is the marking of the beginning human instinct to hide, to conceal, to cover up to not be fully seen. Fig leaves represent anything we do to cover our shame. We have lots of fig leaves in our world. Uh, they're called achievement and status and awards and degrees and fashion and morality. And even religion can be a fig leaf. A fig leaf is anything we use to not be seen. Right? Why, why do we love social media so much? Because I control the me you see. 
Right? When, I, when I'm on Facebook and Instagram, I don't show you all of me. Uh, I, I show you the best of me. I show you the best parts of my vacation, the best parts of my meal, the best parts of my relationships, and the rest can remain hidden, unseen, unknown. This is way more effective and way more comfortable than a fig leaf. I present the me I want you to see. Now, social media can be very helpful in catching up with friends, in knowing what's going on at your church, uh, very helpful in, uh, in some form of connection. Social media can be very helpful. But a lot of research has shown that the overuse of social media, the overuse of social media is, li- uh, is linked with various mental health conditions, including depression, anxiety, feelings of isolation, low self-esteem, and even sleep deprivation. Managing other people's perceptions is exhausting. God asks Adam, where are you? And Adam admits, I'm hiding from you. I don't want you to see me right now. I feel ashamed. I'm I'm naked. And God asks two quick follow-up questions to the big question. Big question, where are you? And then these two quick follow-up questions. Who told you that you were naked? And have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Uh, Who told you that you were naked? Who are you listening to other than me? Who is forming your identity other than me? How are you forming how you see yourself? And secondly, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Who's telling you what to do? Who's guiding you other than me? These two follow-up questions. And notice that Adam immediately blames Eve. How did this happen? The woman. And not just the woman, but the woman you put here with me. As if to say, you know, this, this might be her fault, or really, God, if you think this through, it could be your fault. Because, you know, you, this whole woman thing was your idea. You put her here with me. That's how this whole thing started. And blame uh, may be the biggest diversion tactic of all. Blame is by far our favorite fig leaf. We cover and hide behind it. Listen, you can blame the devil, you can blame other people, you can blame God, but ultimately each one of us has to own who we are and what we've done. Eventually every one of us has to own the fact that we have, are prone to listen to sources other than God tell us who we are and what to do. We are prone to listen to other voices, other sources besides God to tell us who we are and what to do. And God says, there's, there's no need to hide. I see you. I see you fully. I see you completely. And I long for the relationship that we once had. Where are you? It's the most important question you will ever face. It's one of the most caring, courageous questions you will ever ask of somebody that you love. It's the shortest most devastating, most hopeful question anybody will ask you. Where are you? And most importantly, this little question can bring us back into the presence of the most important person in the universe, God, who asks this question of you now. Where are you? You can think about human need uh, this way. This is not uh, original with me. You might have seen a chart like this before. We are wired by God at creation with two very basic human needs. There is the need to be known, and there's the need to be accepted. 
you might think of it as a little two-by-two matrix. We need to be known and we need to be accepted. And in human relationships, you can have one and not the other. So, for example, if I am accepted, I'm highly accepted on this scale, but I'm not known, then this is illusion. This is my false self. This is me pretending. And churches can become this. I'm accepted. You accept me. You, you affirm me. But it's only because you don't really know me. And then if I'm, if I'm not accepted and not known, this is isolation. Nobody knows me. Nobody accepts me. And this may be the real pandemic of our times. This is everywhere. But worst of all is to be known and not accepted. And then I experience rejection. And this is very painful. This, this is why divorce is so difficult. A divorced uh, person in our church told me, I've been rejected by the person who knows me best. And rejection is so painful, I'll do anything to get out of here. I, I, will, I will isolate. I, I will just decide I'm just not going to be known. But to be fully known and fully accepted, this is love. The man and his wife were naked and without shame, fully known, fully accepted. No, no worry about being rejected, no temptation to isolate, no uh, sense of need to pretend. This is love. I'm trying to learn a lot from recovery programs like our own Celebrate Recovery and Alcoholics Anonymous. And at AA meetings, you may know this, when a new person comes to an AA meeting, they're asked to introduce themselves using the AA formula, and they say, hi, my name is, you know, a guy will say, hi, my name is Bob, and I'm an alcoholic. And then he braces himself for what's going to happen next because he's taken that thing that he's ashamed of and put it right out there, laid it bare for everyone to hear and see, and he braces himself for a lot of rejection, and the group just says, hi, Bob, as if to say, you're accepted here. In fact, we're going to kind of cheer on your vulnerability. There, there's, there's power here. There's freedom here. There's life here. And I want to recommend two spiritual disciplines that can help us live in this quadrant. Two spiritual disciplines that can help us not only receive this kind of love, but extend this kind of love to other people. And the first one is the discipline of worship. When you can learn about the God who is love, where you can hear the scriptures read, where you can be with others who know the power of this love, where you can give thanks to God, where you can remember how blessed you really are. The discipline of worship, and secondly, the discipline of community. To have a circle of friends that can offer you this without you having to do this. To join a little circle of people where you can know and be known, love and be loved, serve and, and be served, celebrate and be celebrated. The whole reason we have small groups is because everybody needs this. You cannot live without that. There are people who come to churches and people that come to our church that never get fully known. And they come week after week and month after month and year after year, but they kind of stay in almost as a permanent visitor. And if that's you, I want to invite you, challenge you this fall 
to step out of that permanent visitor category and get into a, a little circle, to get into a little flock uh, where you can be known. Maybe you know somebody who's in a small group and you can ask them about that. And as you've heard, uh, we're, we're starting new small groups right now. This week and next week, we're starting new small groups that will meet for two months, October and November. Two-month small groups. And it's the easiest time, best time to get in is this week, the next two weeks before we launch those October uh, series. So you can try a group. Do not do life alone. And it's possible that you might need some specialized assistance if you battle an addiction, if you struggle with depression or anxiety, and we put some mental health resources on our website today. If you go to ward.church slash newsfeed, ward.church slash newsfeed, you'll see a list of groups and books and websites and how you can get the name and contact of one of our recommended Christian counselors. I was trying to think of a, a picture that would visualize, that would capture this uh, longing of the human heart for relationship, that, that would that would capture a picture of this innate desire of the human race to reclaim what was lost in the fall in Genesis 3. And that, that's why I have this little uh, volleyball up here. Anybody recognize this face? This is Wilson. And Wilson is, I guess you could say, a character in a movie starring Tom Hanks where Tom Hanks plays a guy who's trapped on, a, on an island all by himself for years. And with his blood, Tom Hanks' character makes this face. And this becomes the only relationship he has for years. This becomes, in a way, a reminder of, of this, because you cannot live without this. And this face keeps him alive in an odd way. When he's tempted to take his own life, it's this face that preserves him. And then at the end of the movie, Tom Hanks, his character, uh, risks his life to get on this raft that he made to try to get off for safety. And he secures this face, Wilson, onto the raft, lashes him down. But at some point in the travel, uh, this, this face uh, gets lost. It, it comes off the raft and starts to drift away. And the desperation of Tom Hanks' character to reclaim this face is so powerful. And I want, I want to show you that scene. It takes just a couple of minutes to, to watch, um, but, but watch the screens. Rosa!
I remember watching that scene in a movie theater when it first came out and Angie and I just crying and the whole theater crying for a volleyball. <laughs> Somebody said Wilson should have won an Academy Award for his portrayal. Why is that so moving? Because this is not about a volleyball, right? This is about the human heart. This is about our desperate need for this and the awfulness of this, and of this, and of this, and it's just a, a picture, as all great stories are, it's a little picture of the grand story of a God who loves you so much that He sent His only Son. And God was beside Himself with this thought uh, of you drifting away, of you becoming lost, and so He went after you, and He did not go back to the raft. He died. At the cross, we see the full extent of God's love. We see that Jesus knew the full depth of utter rejection. Jesus went through that so, that so that you and I could experience love. And that's what we're about. We say our church exists to lead generations to live and love as Jesus lived and loved. And we're going to stand and pray that it would be so. Would you stand to your feet? God, thank you for your great love for us. I pray for anyone here who has ever felt rejected, isolated, or false. Help this to be a place where we swim in the love of God. Thank you that when we have been lost or separated or hiding, you have sought us out. You have walked in the garden. You have been present right in the midst of it all. Forgive us, God, that we have looked to other sources to tell us who we are and what to do. Be our source, our wisdom, our guide, our strength, and our joy. And then, God, we pray for anyone here today who in this moment this morning recognizes the pain of their separation from you. Anyone here who want to pray to you right now, God, I, I don't want to be separated. I want to be reconciled. Thank you for your love that has pursued me my whole life long. And so, God, I, I come out from my hiding. I come out to make myself known and ask God that you would draw me to yourself. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, and make me your child. So, God, for anyone who who made that kind of commitment today, we give you thanks and pray that we would be a, a place that fully represents the love of Jesus Christ. Guide us in the days to come. We pray this uh, with gratefulness in the, in the powerful love of Jesus our Savior, in the life-changing love of, of Him, we pray. And all God's people said, amen.